Welcome to Meltemi, the Pituleta Bagica podcast. Meltemi is a type of cold breeze in a summer's day, an unexpected yet very pleasant experience. Much like the wind, we want to explore the different directions our conversations will go. This podcast aims to be a breath of fresh air in a hot summer's day. We will be discussing all cultural forms from literature to poetry to philosophy to art in new and different ways. Further, like the magazine's motto, Art for Art's Sake, we are intent on showing you a new face to podcast. Cultural Obsessions is the first series we have launched, where we will be speaking to esteemed guests about the cultural figure, be it an artist, an author, a filmmaker, that means most to them. So without further ado, we welcome you to this series of conversations. Hi, welcome or welcome back to Cultural Obsessions, to the Meltemi podcast. Today, I'm very happy to say that we have a very exciting guest, Nacho Oliden who is the co-head of Paraphrases column at the Pichuleta Barca. He's also a writer and a poet, although he doesn't describe himself as either. And he's most of all a book lover. So today he's come to talk to us about his, one of his many cultural obsessions, Rudyard Kipling. So without further ado, welcome. Hi, Eleonora. Thank you very much. Thank you for the very nice introduction. And thank you for clearing <laughs> up that I do not consider myself a writer not because I don't want to but because I think it's a very great achievement and entitled to be a poet but thank you very much I mean I think that this is up to Zen debate with people who've read your craft which I would definitely recommend uh, any of you <laughs> listeners if you haven't done so I know that Nacho's published a few things on the Pichuleta Barca and you can also find a few of his other things especially if you are Spanish speaker or reader there's more to see and read but so I said that this is one of your many cultural obsessions but just as a little introduction to Kipling obviously we know Kipling as the the children's storyteller and things like the Jungle Book if we've not read it we've at least watched the Disney film <laughs> but so tell us a bit more about Kipling and why you wanted to feature him today. Yeah Kipling is uh, the author of many short stories and verses, novels. He's best known, as you say, for his children's books, like the Just So Stories or the Jungle Books. But his range is evidently much wider. He was born in 1865 he, and died in 1936, just before the Second World, World War. He had a very unhappy childhood. Well, he was born in Mumbai. He was son of a museum director there, an archaeologist specialist. So he was sent to London to educate himself, which was very common at that time because they thought that the climate was would do some harm to the English children. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> he was sent there and much more harm was done there because he had a very unhappy childhood. He, he was left five years at a foster home. Then he went to a United Service College uh, where he was bullied and bothered and he didn't have a good time there. Gosh. But it seems that such a movement around the world, around the globe, provided him with a very creative mind. And by the age of 15, 16, he was already going back to India with a job at a journal in which he wrote his, his verses and short stories. And by the end of 21, uh, 22, he was already coming back to London as an already complete writer. He went to, back to London to measure himself against the other authors of his time. In uh, that time, he traveled around the world, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand. He went to the United States, where he got married, and he went back to England, where he stayed until he died in 1976 in Sussex. He's lived a very long life. And obviously, he's definitely a, a character of his time, no representative of his time a bit. So I don't know if you want to mention anything about that. Yes, uh, he, was, he was a very controversial man. He was an apologist of the empire, of racial superiority. He was, uh, in many senses, a xenophobe and a misogynist. And he was, he was so complicated that well, he was not even a man of his time to some extent, because if you take into consideration that when he was buried mm. in Westminster Abbey 
in the poet's corner, the only ones present were military army men and no poets, no writers, no important. Wow. Uh, yeah. That's not, that's not great. <laughs> <laughs> so in a sense, he was like much more conservative than the conservative ones of that age, I believe. That's what I, I feel he, you can sense some hate and some very bad opinions in several of his pages, but I believe there are some ones, some, some texts that can be, that can survive that, not because of his personality, but in spite of it, some literary jewels came out and can be enjoyed. That is, you know, the, whilst we were prepping this episode, we had this question in our mind, like, you know, what do you do when the author you like is just a terrible person? Yeah, yeah, no. It's, um, it's, it's actually something that if you guys have opinions on, just let us know, because it, it was something that we debated at length. I don't know if it is an advantage or, or a disadvantage to, to be able to read these texts of this kind of authors, but... I don't I have too much trial, you know. I think that his ideas can be as stupid as anybody else's <laughs> and don't have much more value just because they are better expressed. The only uh, reason why they are so important is because they are maybe more technically expressed but do not deserve any more attention than any other stupid opinion I hear every day. Yeah, and so I guess because obviously this is your cultural obsession, my interest is to know what is it about Kipling's way of storytelling? When did you first read Kipling? And also, this will lead us into the crux of the conversation, which is that in order to discuss Kipling, we read The Finest Story in the World, which is one of his short stories, which is a very intriguing story. But I kind of wanted to know a bit more, like, when did you start reading Kipling? Do you remember when you started reading him? Did you read everything by him? Uh, no, certainly not. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I ever will. There are like 30 tomes. And as we say, much of it are uh, filled with many ideas I, do, I am not interested in. <laughs> but no, he has a lot of your stories. I don't even know the limits of his work. But I, I hope I can read much more, you know. he Why Kipling? I, I got to him the same way I got to many other authors, which is through Borges. This ties well into the other episode in case you haven't listened to it yet. We would definitely <laughs> recommend listening to it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we say here in Argentina that he who owns or he or she who owns the complete works by Borges owns the whole literature of the world because he talks about everything and everyone. He made so many references to Kipling that I said, well, I have to read him, who this Kipling is. I read a book I had at, I had at home at the time, which was Captain Courageous, a novel. And from then on, I just kept on reading. I think what interests me most about Kipling is that my approach to him is that of uh, pure enjoyment and joy and pleasure. You know, it's not, you know, when we start uh, writing, for example, you tend to, to read things in another way. You're not very much enjoying them, but you're like, you're focused on what, on what you can extract as from ideas or techniques or lines. So it, it is another form of reading. But with Kipling, you know, I came with these fables, these tales, songs. It was a, a much more unacademic form of writing, which I enjoyed. And I come back to it every time just for having a good time, which is why I read from a beginning. And I so think that's the reason. And so when did you, because obviously you talked about Borges, do you have like more or less a timeline as to when you started? Were you in your teenage years? Or, I mean, I, I'm guessing, as you said, Borges came first. When did you discover Borges and when did you discover Kipling? Was it in your formative well, years or later on? <laughs> <laughs> well, Borges, in, it has been always in our life. It's like Maradona, you know, in Buenos Aires, you're, you're born and you're, all you hear is, is Maradona, <laughs> Borges Gardel in tango. So it's like always going around there, you know, there are always references to his short stories, to his poems, he's involved in political discussions. So I really don't remember when I first read Borges, but the first important readings of Borges were, of course, in school at the age of, 
I believe it was 14 when we first read him. And I think I got to Kipling uh, by 16. So, so he's been with you for a while now. Yeah, yeah, yes, very much. And I, I don't, I haven't read so much about from him in spite of the years because, well, because his books are not so easily got here in, in Buenos Aires. Also because I think you cannot exhaust the readings on his mm-hmm. short stories, you know? Yeah. I think they are able to receive so many points of view, these short stories, that I can read it many times with uh, different intentions and they will never run out. So are you, because this is interesting, are you the type of reader who will come back to a book and read it again? Or are you the type of person who will read it once and think about it in a different way? What's your approach? I used to come back when they are very short. (laughs) 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 But I know, I I don't think I would come back to a, a complete book uh, yes, to short story, to essays, I come back every time, mm. or some canonic books, you know, the Martin Fierro here in Argentina, the epic poem, I, we always come back to that, to Borges every time, Kipling, but they are short books. I wouldn't, it is a lot of effort to read a, no, a novel for me uh, once. I can't, be, I can't imagine how <laughs> it would be to read it twice, you know? <laughs> Yes, because for reference, Nacho does not like reading novels. He is very much interested in short stories and essays and poems. And so it's kind of interesting that he chose the finest story in the world because (laughs) it's a short story that kind of goes nowhere. Um, (laughs) So if you you want to introduce that, because I would say you might not want to read any everything by Kipling, but I would say that this is a very fun read. You know, I read novels. Uh, I read one last last week by Pere Galdós, which is a Spanish novelist, great one. But I think the risk of taking a novel and halfway it, realizing I don't like it, I think it it is a very risky move, <laughs> which I'm <laughs> I am not willing to take many times. You know. Yeah. I have a constant fear of not being able to read many books I wish to read. So I, I think I, I need to take a book and if I don't like it, I leave it and take another one. I think that's, that's the reason. Uh, but I don't, I don't think novels are bad, although I prefer in some technical ways the short story. Mm-hmm. But I think they are just not for me, maybe at this time of my life, maybe some years from now when my, my ideas change or my times change mm-hmm. I will be enjoying Russian novels <laughs> <laughs> and so why did you choose the finest story in the world do you would you like to tell us a bit more about that yeah because I think it it summarizes in some sense what I enjoy of reading and it summarizes uh, Kipling's profile as a writer and, uh, and as a literary thinker. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, because I think it is very very fun story. I think it's, it's very creative. It is something new, something which has humor, which is poignant at some times, and which is like literally, literary, a huge achievement, I believe. And so the short story starts with Charlie, right? And he goes to Kipling, the narrator. Am I correct? Yeah, it's, it's about Charlie, a young bank clerk who wants to be a writer and comes to the narrator, uh, who is who supposed to be Kipling. Uh, and uh, this, this boy, Charlie, produces some, has some notions, he says, which are when which when we listen to those notions are extraordinary, like they are incredible notions. And the narrator clearly says, "Oh my God, how 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 does he think of this?" So it's about the boy trying to write these stories down and seeking advice from Kipling. And the story is about Kipling realizing uh, that the boy is re- is remembering past lives, and he doesn't want him to realize this fact, nor him falling in love because he said Kipling said that if the boy fell in love he would forget about the creation of short stories and, and about 
distaste of the past. Yeah, because I guess in a way he would be creating memories and therefore the past wouldn't have any place in that space. Um, yes, exactly. Yes, and because uh, there's, there's this sense of the, the literary compromise, uh, responsibility, you know, there's this sense of sacrifice mm-hmm. to literature, which the voice doesn't care about, <laughs> as we will see in the, in the story. Well, I think this is really interesting because there's a kind of a parallel that we can draw here because you've talked about the joy of reading and the non-academic type of reading. And obviously, because you think as a writer as well, even if you may not consider yourself one, if you read mm. things in terms of like trying to get ideas for what you want to write, the fact that you would choose a story that has like a character that has a story and that's just pure joy and is young and kind of naive, and then you have the narrator in the background. It's kind of very relevant <laughs> to your life, no? <laughs> <laughs> yes. In many cases, I I see myself in Charlie, mm. in his sense of uh, frustration when he, when he can cannot write. Yeah. A notion he already has because mm. there's a problem when you don't have a notion, but when you have it and you cannot express it because you feel you're not technically capable of doing it it is the worst thing of the world (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and then I also see myself when when he doesn't when he realizes there are other authors in the world and he prefers reading them instead of writing himself which is something I I feel many times yeah Uh, like if Consta and Bass allowed me to stay in the magazine and not writing at all just reading you know I would be like the <laughs> very happy I would spend all my time reading and not writing because you come across these situations you see Charlie says like no I don't want to work in the notion anymore I want to read Longfellow which is yeah. much more fun and at the same time you have Kipling you know Kipling's point of view which is this problem of the mixture of passion and technique and erudition how you combine them all how how do you mix reading, the joys of reading, the joys of real life, and the duty of writing? Because here we see that it is a responsibility yeah. uh, in some way to write the notions we imagine or we come across. I think that's an important point because I, I sometimes feel I have to do these things, <laughs> but I don't think it will come out very well or yeah. that it will be very happy, a happy yeah. task. Yeah. And so for you guys who may not have read this short story, we both picked passages that we thought were quite interesting and that we wanted to read for you guys and comment on. And so the first one, it mentions the word notion, which is basically like in the first page or two of of the short story. And it's basically the idea of ideas, right? The ideas of things that you'd want to write about. And so the quote reads... I have a notion in my head that would make the most splendid story that was ever written. Do let me write it out here. It's such a notion. There was no resisting the appeal. I set him a table. He hardly thanked me, but plunged into the work at once. For half an hour, the pen scratched without stopping. Then Charlie sighed and tugged his hair. The scratching grew slower. There were more erasures and at least ceased. The finest story in the world would not come forth, which is just like it's such an amazing way to start a story isn't it <laughs> yes yeah it really is and it is uh, as i tell you it's it's like you you are not able to grasp it technically i feel like it is it's like so passionate from the narrator i believe it's also um, quite funny isn't it like it's very yes. ironic <laughs> yes it's like he's he's talking about writer's block mm-hmm. basically that's an idea of the short story yeah. What do you think? <laughs> oh, no, I think you're right. I think it, it reads to anyone who's ever tried to write anything in terms of academic writing or even, I guess, like creative writing. You definitely sometimes just doesn't happen, does it? Like you just sat there and despair. Yeah. Yes. And I think it's uh, interesting that this idea of the literature as a craft, you know, because he says it's the pencil for Kipling or the pen in this case, the pencil is like the cincel for the sculptor, you know. His scratching grew slower and he needed a table where to put himself. He always makes this reference to, in every of his short stories and his autobiography, 
there's a passage in his autobiography in something of myself in which he alludes to his ink holder in which he filled his ink and he carved all the name of the short stories in the thing with his with a knife <laughs> so there, there's this like ancient idea of the storyteller and the fable and the fables and the gathering around the fire kind of story you know which I really enjoy in Kipling and I this is like the first hint of that in the story you know mm-hmm. where he, he Charlie needs to go to Kipling's house because he hasn't space and Kipling sets him a table and the pen scratched without stopping, which is like as if he was cur- carving something in wood, mm. you know? And yeah. his psyching, Charlie is like, he's not really enjoying this, this task of writing, but it's his responsibility to, to put to ink the notion he has in his head. Yeah. When was this story written in, you know, in terms of Kipling's career? Was Because obviously Charlie is very young, so there's an idea of youth. Mm-hmm that yeah reflected on in his life <laughs> exactly. as well yes exactly I think Kipling sees very much of himself in Charlie in the things he da- he did and in, th- in the things he did wrong too I believe the story is from 1890 1891 published so I believe it, it had to be written earlier Kipling was very young he was 24 more or less when he wrote it down I imagine he thought of the notion earlier before writing it. We're talking about a really young Kipling and in, at the time of his life where he wrote incessantly because he moved from India to, to London and later to Vermont, United States. In India, he, ha- he listened a lot to the advices of his father and his mother, which knew a lot about literature and which provided a lot of Kipling's most famous verses. And once alone, he wrote whichever he felt best. There was no an intellectual filter. Being an alone uh, young man in a big city, you know, yeah. because he didn't know any, anybody. He wasn't in the scholar sense of the word, a thinker, you know. Yeah. He was a, this type of passionate, imaginative man, not even a writer, you know. Yeah. He, he was a storyteller in that sense. And... I think this is a very good image of Kipling's young time as a writer. Yeah. And I guess because you've obviously talked about joy and the joy of reading and the joy of writing, and you kind of alluded to this. And obviously, you know, for anyone who has studied French literature, you may have heard of like Bart and the joy of the text, which which seems like, you know, the whole yeah. concept of reading for pleasure and the kind of writerly and like, what kind of book you would read and what kind of pleasure you might get from it and I think that it's kind of apt when we're talking about this because obviously there's a lot of sense of like pure joy and pure bliss of reading right that you wouldn't get in academic style writing definitely yes I think Kipling made those uh, forced readings like intellectual necessities he would never portray it in his text you know I think he wanted everyone to stay with that sense of pure joy of, of text. Well, I think it is interesting. You know, if you go to Batesman, which is his a museum of Kipling's last house in Sussex, uh, you see the library there. And mm-hmm. he didn't have important books. He had travel diaries. He had geography textbooks, geographical manuals from which he extracted his ideas. But he never, ever went through, uh, I think, a critical theory book, you know, a philosophy of language. I don't know if, I, I don't think he would be able to read it at that time, maybe. <laughs> but yeah. he wasn't interested in that. And he wouldn't have allowed anyone to force themselves to do that, I believe. Yeah. And so I guess I, I kind of wonder, because obviously so this is a spoiler alert, the finest story in the world kind of gets ruined because... Charlie falls in love and so it never gets written and there's something kind of amazing about this short story that ends up in this nothingness right because you go through this whole journey and nothing comes of it and I was wondering what is this specifically about this short story that you know that makes it a good short story for you who likes 
short stories? What is it that makes it particularly amazing (laughs) if you have an answer to that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it is this sense of looking at, uh, like peeping into another world entirely, completely. That's what I love of of short story. But in this sense, I, I think it is the most intense example of that. You know, you're looking through the ages, literally through centuries of distance in some pages. I think that's what I like, you know, and what I like about every of Kipling short stories. You you are knocked, as you say, the, the story ends in nothingness and you are strike with that sense of what's past is past now. Uh, I, I must read it again. I think, uh, as you say, as we said earlier, like, this short story cannot be read completely and you cannot exhaust the interpretations of this text. I don't know, we, we talked about many things which are applicable to the, maybe the same sentence, you know? Mm-hmm. And that taken to the text, to the whole complete short story is an amazing range of interpretations. Also what I'm most interested in this is the, the idea of short storytelling, the idea of craft this sense of autobiographical fiction which is at the same time a literary essay uh, which is a criticism to some of contemporary uh, ideas and on top of all is I think the talent of the writer there are passages in the short story which I think they are like amazing Mm -hmm. that's that's maybe why I come back to it every time I can never understand completely the short story <laughs> <laughs> fair enough I think we all read things and often sometimes just like I don't actually know if I really really understood this <laughs> and so in terms of like managing language and I guess kind of showing his skill which you admire a lot in this with this short story we chose you chose a, a passage that you thought was particularly striking and interesting right and so it's when Charlie is still trying to master writing and before (laughs) the narrator slash Kipling takes over the writing of the story and relies on Charlie to actually tell the story and he says something like this is what Kipling the narrator states he rhymed dove with love and moon with June and devoutly believed that they had never so been rhymed before which kind of, it's really funny, isn't it? <laughs> yes, I think it is really funny. And this is one of the things why I like reading Kipling, because I always think like he's standing in, in my side of literary world, you know, he's like, he joins the small team, which is those who write with passion and maybe are not technically capable or so fluent in the art of writing, especially poetry, because in this case, Charlie was writing a, a poem in, I don't, I don't remember which, which kind of meter, but very was technically. 16? Six, no. Um... No, the Sestina was a... Oh, never a, mind. <laughs> another one, <laughs> which, well, th- that's the thing he does. Keeping was able to write in Sestina, for example. There's this poem by him, the, the Sestina Royal, mm. the Sestina Royal Trump in which he writes in the Sestina form and he fills it with words that no one who writes in Sestina form would do that because it's such a highly regarded form. Kipling joins our side every time, you know, he says like, write your stories, imagine things, write the verses as you can with passion and it will flow. If it is a good notion, as it is said all through the text, it won't matter if it is in blank verse or anything. That's why I love Kipling, I think, in his short stories. He supports our kind of writers. <laughs> so, so do you find him kind of... Because obviously there's something quite interesting in how you relate to Kipling in, in the sense that it seems like he's your, your writing guru. I mean, that's a course <laughs> of words, but, you know, he, he helps you. Is that, yeah. is that how you feel? Yeah, definitely. I think when I take the risk of writing a short story, for example, or, or a poem, I already feel like safe, as if Kipling was in my guard, because he says all the time in this short story, for example, the blank verse is much better than the one with the, I don't know what, 
meter, you know, and in fact, don't worry if you write short story because it is much more difficult than writing verse, which is what happens in the short story. Charlie cannot, <laughs> Charlie is not able to write in the notion, but he can manage every kind of poem. So he, here Kipling stands in our side, short storytelling. It's like a very marginal position, I believe, in that time. And I think it is valuable. And it's, it is a, an idea which is, I believe, contemporary. Yeah. You know, if we think about poet, we think of it much more higher than a storyteller. And that's why I, I like, I, I think there is some boldness in his way of thinking. Yeah. I was wondering, because obviously, did he write whilst he was mainly young or did he write throughout his life or what was his deal? <laughs> yes, he began writing in a sense when he was very, 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 very young in the House of Desolation, as he called it, that foster home in, mm-hmm. in which he was educated uh, because he, his books were taken away as a form of torture. Mm-hmm. He had to remember what he read by memory and that's a kind of creation right then he began writing and got a job before finishing school and came back to india where he wrote in journals he wrote songs he wrote short stories he wrote uh, everyday chronicles and i think that's where he got this need of writing short forms uh, in this uh, everyday notes about yeah. very specific very specific, very, you know, fugacious events of life because he needed to write something almost every day. And how yeah. do you manage to find something interesting to write every day? Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's kind of, I find it interesting because obviously there's like, he's very economical with his language. And I don't know, it's, it's very, you're right. It's, it's very precise in a way that's not very academic, but in a way that it's even more poignant in a way, you know? No, I think you're very right. He's very precise. You know, George Moore says that Kipling, together with Shakespeare, are the only ones who write with the complete dictionary, the only writers in English language who never run out of words. You know, I think yeah. in that sense, it may be, it is right what we are yeah. talking about. <laughs> yeah. And there's another passage that you very smartly put down which is really funny so I might read it for you guys it basically is in the moment when Charlie stops writing and Kipling's there listening and he goes read me what you've done I said he read and it was wondrous bad and he paused at all the specially turgid sentences expecting a little approval for he was proud of those sentences as I knew he would be it needs compression I suggested cautiously I hate cutting my things down I don't think you could alter a word here without spoiling the sense it reads better aloud than when I was writing it Charlie you're suffering from an alarming disease affecting a numerous class put the thing by and tackle it again in a week and I kind of think that it's quite is related really to the act of writing isn't it and yes and just the idea that you know what you write your creative creation might be really really bad <laughs> yes i think it, it it attacks that point and many much more in such a short passage yes it, it alludes firstly the fact that the story has to be read aloud which is uh, this kind of uh, idea that kipling had of stories this ancient idea of the storyteller mm. singing or reading aloud his work and then it is this this idea of craft which we were talking earlier it needs molding you know as if it was a mad sculpture yeah. it, it needs constant constant work to put our hands in it it needs compression he says cutting things down it is a very very physical idea of literature yeah you know at the same time and then his his opinion and and maybe that's why i th- see myself in it Maybe it isn't necessary for it to be long, you know, because we live once and time is valuable. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it, if it can be shortened, it must be done. That's the idea of this passage. And moreover, this, this sense of, I don't think, Charlie says very inexpertly, Mm. Uh, I don't think you could alter a word here without spoiling the sense. And Kipling is like, oh, well, 
if you can't do that, then it is wrong, you know, because this is the sense should be fine because you already have the notion in your head. Like it doesn't have to be so fragile. Yeah. Give it and taking it, taking it in a week, yeah. which was exactly his way of making things. So, because obviously, you know, we've had a few conversations about Kipling and about the short story and, you know, we identified, I read it and I was like, oh, this is about writer's block and about writing and reading and storytelling. And, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I hadn't actually realized that you actually, you, you might actually use this short story when you write. Like the fact that you, <laughs> that, that, that that was a passage that you wanted to talk about. It seems like, you know, kind of like Umberto, Umberto Eco's, you know, how to write a thesis, the, the text that he wrote about <laughs> that. It seems kind of like he's, that he's got that kind of role for you. The rules of writing. <laughs> Yes, I think so. Or Calvino's Why to Read the Classics. You yeah. Know, how, uh, well, this is what I meant. There, are, there surely are manuals about how to write, how not to worry about correction, how, how to attack notions, many of, of those kind. And Kipling puts it all in a short story. So yes, I think it has some kind of didactic meaning for me in that sense. I think that that it occurs with all of the authors which we enjoy most, you know, but this particular short story, I think it does. It is my tablet uh, of, of the, yeah, yes, I, I think you're right. <laughs> and so we've mentioned this, but actually hasn't gone in depth. You know, Kipling wrote poetry and I guess like as you write poetry as well, what, what do you think of Kipling's poetic writings? I don't think of him as a genius in here or in poetry, but I like his stance, as I said before, you know, uh, he picks our side when writing poetry. Uh, he, he writes ballads to be sung in public and not to be put in, in an anthology of great writers of the world. Uh, no, he publishes in the diary, uh, in the journal, and, and expects someone somewhere to be to be reciting them and to sing in them in memory in a popular way, which is, I think, the, the highest achievement one can have as a writer, which is to be popular, you know? Yeah. I think in that way, he was incredibly successful in being popular. I don't think it was a very nice population in that sense, but in that time precisely, no, I don't think of him highly as a, as a poet, as I, as I enjoy him as a storyteller. Obviously, in this short story, you have Charlie who tries to write poems. And I was wondering if you wanted to read the final poem that he writes before he meets the girl and then his, all of his talent disappears. So if you want to read it, then that'd be wonderful. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. The final poem Charlie writes, which is the one that blocks him eternally of that notions he had. It is one of my favorites, paradoxically, because I just said I didn't like much of Kipling's poetry, but this one, <laughs> it is one of my favorites. It is the one Charlie uh, writes in the most romantic way, in, in the sense of like an abrupt entrance of feelings and thought, uh, like in a very fluent way, he writes it. And the narrator is completely astonished. Like, this is nothing like the last poems he gave me in which he was worried about the rhyme and about the metric. I think it is, I, I can read it if you want. Yes, please do. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. It says, well, in this case, for, so I can, it, it is clear. The story ends with Charlie uh, falling in love, which was the principal fear the narrator had because that would that would block him completely of writing the notions, writing the finest story in the world. That's what happened. Charlie says, "Hey, I wrote I wrote this, and this is the poem. Let the sullen boulders hear my cry and rejoice, though they be but stone. Mine, I have won her own good brown earth. Make merry, this hard on spring. Make merry, my love is doubly worth all worship your fields can bring. Let the hint that." Tills you feel my mirth at the early harrowing. The day is most fair. The cheery wind hallows behind the hill, where he bends the wood as seemeth good and the sapling to his will. Riot, O wind, 
There is that in my blood that would not have this chill. She gave me herself, O earth, O sky. Gracie, she's mine alone. Let the silent boulders hear my cry and rejoice though they be but stone. Mine, I have won her. O good brown earth, make merry. This hard on spring, make merry. My love is doubly worth all worship your fists can bring. Let the hymn that tears you fill my mirth at the early harrowing. Red cloud of the sunset, tell it abroad. I am victor. Greet me, O sun, dominant master and absolute lord over the soul of one. Like, I, I think it is one of the most, I love it. And what is it I about it you like? <laughs> the, this sense of ingenuity, you know, of the voice. You know, it's a, an idea I like a lot in poetry. I, you can find it, I, I don't know, from who, who, I don't remember the poem, but he has a similar idea. And, or another one I love about Johnson. He says, old Timothy, if he realized that the whole world was in the arms of the woman he loved, he wouldn't have conquered the world. <laughs> I, I think it is a very nice idea. And I love it that love it blocks him in a literary way, you know, because in the end, love was most important. You know, real life experience was more important than the literary task. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a cure for Charlie. I think that that is a nice idea. It talks about poetry as enjoyment. I think he gave up all the beautiful notions he had, the finest story in the world. He gave it up for, for love in a sense. And, and I think the narrator understands it and is, is okay with it. And do you think, do you read Kipling therefore as a bit of a romantic? I mean, obviously the ending is kind of, there's a very funny tinge to it, right? That like the best <laughs> story in the world wasn't written because the guy had love and therefore it disappeared. But yes. do, you think, do you read it as kind of a romantic ending? Do you read that kind of, because obviously uh, a kind, that kind of storytelling can can go flat, you know, it can just end up being, you know, for example, <laughs> we, were, we were talking about this, The Aleph by Borges is one of the short stories that's kind of resembles uh, this one, right? Yes, I think uh, you, can, you can track The Aleph down to Kipling totally, down to The Eye of Allah, logically, yeah. which, is a, which is a short story of monks looking through the hole of a microscope mm-hmm. uh, and this one the, the finest story in the world I think can be tracked down I don't I think this is a very it is very subtle the ending but I think it is like it, it strikes me a little bit emotionally because I sense that Kipling throughout his life could not do anything more than than obey his faith of writer you know he wasn't conquered by love the way charlie was he got married but was a a very unhappy marriage and he suffered the loss of two of his daughter at an early age and then his son and then he was pretty much hated by everyone Uh, he (laughs) but i think that he felt that the only thing he could do was writing you know and from his actual point of view not the narrator but the writer it is a positive image, that of Charlie. He who can be able to go through life uh, and forget the literary faith, destiny, the task, the responsibility of the writer, the suffering of the crafter, and all of that. I think that's, that's kind of the final message, which I like, right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> honestly, it's really fascinating to hear you speak about this. I think... There's so much about this short story that like has a lot to do with what you enjoy when you read and what you look for in books and what you look for in writing, which I think is it shows really that you thought about this because obviously like sometimes we don't really think about why we like something so much. But you really have thought about you've deconstructed the story in a way to reflect what you think of you know what to do when one writes which I think is fascinating I mean I I haven't done that (laughs) yes I think I projecting my thoughts on the story I'm sure that maybe a specialist in Kipling would say no you got it all wrong don't don't ever read Kipling again because (laughs) you (laughs) but yes 
but it is impossible to do that in any type of art appreciation. May I said at, at the beginning that one tends to read accordingly to, to what one wants to write, you know? Mm-hmm. And what I'm doing, I think I realize now is reading accordingly to what one wishes to read, <laughs> Yeah, you know? <laughs> so yeah. maybe I'm extracting all the ideas I enjoy about reading. Maybe that's, that's why I'm being so subjective and arbitrary in my opinions. <laughs> we are all subjective and arbitrary in our opinions. I don't think that you can really have it any other way. <laughs> and I think that you have very good ideas, really. <laughs> um, Thank you. So are there any facts about Kipling's that you know aren't very well known that you think our audience should learn about or know about before we conclude? Yes, I think the well, we saw he had a very particular life. Firstly, a popular one, but maybe not, you know, maybe not so acknowledged that he was the youngest Nobel Prize winner mm-hmm. of literature and the first English to win it. He he was forty-two, I believe, when he won it, which is not very young in in absolute terms, but relatively in literary careers, it is very young. I think it is it is interesting to to note the power of Kipling's imagination. And he was so so creative and so imaginative that he at some point, you know, he, he was uncomfortable with, with his imagination. He in his in something of myself, the autobiography, he mentioned some some cases of him being terrified by his imagination, which is uh, once he was in in Aldershot, which is where where events and military events and maneuvers and shows were were given to the public, and the the conditions of the weather uh, made him remember the South African War and. He felt like he started fearing. He felt like the pressure of the British dead coming alive, and he watched them forming and flickering before him in the in the heat. He got into panic. Yeah. Or another time when he was sent to as a correspondent to Afghanistan, I believe he completed his review on marching troops, mm-hmm. and he later couldn't sleep because he saw, in his opinion, literally saw infinite pairs of leg marching past before him. He always talked about his inspiration as a demon. Sometimes he could write it down, those demons, he could control them, you know, as you take, como tomaba un toro por las astas, we say in Spanish, you know. <laughs> eh, yeah, I take a, a bull by its horns. Yeah, that's how he took inspiration. And sometimes the, he couldn't handle it and he... He was terrified by it. And then I think the one which shows that Kipling, in spite of all his mistakes, he was a, a man of emotions and a very unhappy life. His son, John, his dream was to join the army, then to go to war, to fight. Couldn't get in because he had bad sight, which yeah. Kipling, Kipling had too. In fact, he finally was partially blind. And his son, John, really wanted, so Kipling used his influences to get him in. And in the first battle, John died in the Battle of Luz. He was second lieutenant in the Irish Guards. And from then on, Kipping was already very much depressed for the death of his one of his daughters, Josephine. So this one, he felt he murdered his son. And from then on, he was really very depressed from then on. He felt very guilty. It sounds like he was a very troubled man. It sounds also you know like the craft was very separate from the human being in a way because a human being sounds kind of just not very not very approachable yeah. to say the no, name yeah yes I think well I think he's I don't know I really think he was a very troubled man very I don't want to say crazy but it is Possible. very interesting way of yeah. working his his mind you know maybe he found some some refuge in his short storytelling in his fables. I like to think that the real essence of Kipling are his fables and children's stories, you know, yeah. where he much enjoyed, but he was tied to that destiny of writing. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does. That's, that's and it actually kind of reminds me of 
in a very complete, like in the polar opposite way of Arthur Rimbaud, the poet, because obviously, yeah. you know, one took solace in writing, one wrote and then left. Um, <laughs> and so it's kind of, it's, it's very striking comparison. They are similar. I think Kipling would have loved to do what Rimbaud did, you know, but as I say, I think he was tied to writing. Yeah. But at the same time, he believed that was his position, his role in the whole empire. The singer, a very important position in every great empire had, it, had its singer and its promoter of ideas. Rambo, finally, it was his, you know, Kipling sang to the doers. He always thought that, thought that the doers were more valuable than the, than the writers or the thinkers. And Rambo was a doer, but it was that attitude which finally blocked him, right? Yeah. Because he... Maybe from if he followed Kipling's later idea of staying in your role and providing what you can, maybe Rambo would have got much better results, you know? Yeah, yeah. For the audience who doesn't know, Rambo was this very important French poet and then wrote most of his amazing poetry up to age 21. And then he decided that he'd had enough about writing and went to sell weapons. I think it was somewhere in Africa, if I'm not wrong. But so it's uh, kind of contrasted. Croatia, right? yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So I think you're right. Rambo escaped his literary destiny. Yeah. And it's very tragically, even artistically speaking, very tragic. <laughs> you know, yeah. he, he tried to avoid his, his destiny and he ended up in a very disgraceful uh, way. Well, Nacho, it's been absolutely fascinating to listen to you talk about your love for basic language <laughs> and stories but before we let you go I was wondering if there had ever been a book or film that you've never managed to finish but that you've come back to well book I never managed to finish Cortázar Hopscotch mm-hmm. Rashuela I tried several times but I still prefer his short stories yeah and uh, I fell asleep many times <laughs> uh, in film, you know. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of Godard I cannot yeah. uh, manage to finish. I don't I, think you're alone. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I don't. There was a time I could, and I saw several films of Godard, but I, I was forced by my wish to see Godard. I was forced to go through it. Now, I, I, if I don't like it, I take it off. <laughs> so yeah. I think maybe that... Another novel is Adán Buenos Aires here in Argentina, a novel named Adán Buenos Aires, which is uh, like a Titanic Uber. And I don't know anyone who has managed to, to finish, finish it. I tried several times, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I know what you mean. It's really difficult. I, I really like your approach of if you don't like it, you stop. We're reading what you feel like in that moment, because I think that that makes a huge difference in in the activity of reading and it keeps it enjoyable as you said yourself but that's it for now from us bye thank you very much bye bye Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you had a good time. If you'd like to hear more, note that we are on Spotify and Apple Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about La Pichueta Barca, have a look at our website, lapichuetabarca.com. L-A-P-I-C-C-I-O-L-E-T-T-A-B-A-R-C-A.com. And if you'd like to support us, we have a patron page. The intro music is from The Dreamers and the song is called Harbor Lights. You can find the latest album on Spotify and YouTube. Thanks again for listening.